Great to see you all excited. Uh, man, amazing night. I'm uh, especially rambunctious this evening, so it should be interesting. Okay, uh, how many of you are parents here? How many of you are parents? Okay, a little shout out for that. Come on. How many parents? All right. Uh, now, how many of you have been parented? Okay. Yeah, there you go. The rest of you are a little bit confused right now. You're like, I'm not sure if I'm either. Well, welcome, uh, wherever you're at. I, I'd like to start out by talking a little bit about parenting. Uh, specifically for me, and, and you'll all relate to this because you've been, at least been parented in some way, shape, or form. Uh, talk about them often. I have three young kids. Uh, my oldest is four. Uh, my a middle child, um, who we affectionately call um, many different things, um, uh, he is uh, a nearly two, and my youngest is nearly one. And what I've realized about parenting is I feel like, I feel like pretty much the extent of my parenting right now is just constant warning, Right? Like, I just feel like all of the things that come out of my mouth are just one warning after another. Don't run with that, you know? Like, you're going to poke something out. Wait until we put your diaper on, son, you know? Stop trying to stay. He's like a cat over in the corner, you know? He, like, rubs his, you know, feet in the ground, and you're like, no, wait, you know? Don't push your brother and sister like that. Right? Don't throw the ball pit balls all around. I just feel like I'm constantly like warning them. Right? This is nonstop warning after warning after warning. And uh, what my kids don't realize is that in, in the moment, like all they all they think is like, well, daddy's just daddy's just being he's being mean, right? Like he's he's coming down on me. Like he doesn't understand that these scissors are the coolest thing ever. Like like you know if I were, if I were just to run with these, this would be amazing. True story, true story. Three days ago, I look in my kitchen, and my son Dawson um, is coming around the corner with none other than a steak knife in his hand. And he's like running like this with it, right? And just running all around the kitchen. And he had apparently got in the, uh, got in the, the washer, uh, what did they call it, the dishwasher, and like just started pulling things out and chose the weapon, like the, right? Now, what my kids don't realize is this is like all of these things that I'm explaining to them, all of these warnings for them, are really birthed out of a tremendous amount of love. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to protect them. Don't run out in the street. Like, I don't want you to get hit by a car. Don't run with that. Please, uh, actually, the, the, the put a diaper on, that's more about me, right? Like, I don't want to clean that up, and so that one's really not about protection. But the rest of them are this deep longing in my heart to protect my children. I know they don't see it like this now, and maybe they never will, but I pray that they do. Um, listen, we come to certain moments in the Scripture that are encouragement, that are praise, or that are really strong, intense doctrine. And then we come to texts that are warnings. And, and not just warnings for like one or two of us, uh, but literally warnings for all of us. This text tonight is one of those. It's a warning. It's a clear warning. It's a warning that not just breathes truth, but is founded in love and grace. And so I pray tonight that you would receive this warning, that you would journey with us no matter where you're at in your understanding or journey with Christ. I realize some of you in this room 
You're longing for more of Jesus and others of you don't even think he's real. No matter where you're at in your journey, can you just come along with us tonight, right? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go for it, all right? God, I thank you for your scripture that not only seems to speak truth directly into our existence here and now, but expand the course of history. I thank you for its consistency. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you, God, that these words, we don't have to question. So encourage us, challenge us, convict us, and reveal your character in powerful ways. In your awesome and holy name, and all God's people said, amen. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. The page number is up on the screens, the very high screens. There's uh, several churches that meet in this building, and so they're doing some rearranging. And So I'm sorry that you'll have to kind of look up to the heavens uh, to see the page number, but there you go. Now, last week, as has been the theme so far in Hebrews, we learned that Jesus is not just superior, as we saw in the first two chapters, to angels, but last week, the epitome of who the Jews loved and appreciated in who? In Moses, remember? In Moses, the epitome of that, that Jesus is superior to Moses as well. And I, I shared with you last week, like, Moses is the one guy in the Jewish faith, even more than Abraham, that was universally loved. Deep affection for Moses. He represented deliverance for the people. We saw that Jesus was greater than him. And so coming out of that now, we have the intense warning between verses 7 through 13. So let's read the whole chunk And then we'll start to break it down as we do. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion or the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I provoked with that generation, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here we go. Verse 7. What's the first phrase? Unbelievable first phrase. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, You may not read and instantly get the depth of the statement, but can you try with me for a moment? A New Testament writer quoting a section from Psalm 95 in the Old Testament who David wrote, and he opens by quoting Psalm 95 saying, as the Holy Spirit says. A New Testament writer, speaking of a writer in the Old Testament, says it wasn't David writing it. It was the inspiration of God. The Holy Spirit writing the Word of God. We believe very strongly here that this isn't a manual of simple truths and fables that can and maybe and should be true. We believe this is the inerrant Word of God. That God has inspired it, that He wrote it through His Holy Spirit. And do you get this? that not just is that affirmed in some doctrinal statement of beliefs, but literally the writer of Hebrews says what David wrote 
hundreds and hundreds of years ago in Psalm 95 was written by the Holy Spirit. And so I know that many of you in here, listen, I know many of you struggle with the authority of the Scripture. You see it as suggestion, you see it as life help. Can I just encourage you with this? When you have writers hundreds of years later after something was wrote attributing something to God that's not just a doctrinal statement that we've looked back and assessed, there's got to be something in that. There's got to be something that these early church readers and writers and apostles and prophets and preachers saw in the Scripture where they believed that it truly was what it says about itself, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Are you with me? Now, I'm no weatherman. Clearly. Uh, how many of you guys, how many guys just love weather? You're, you're like me and meteorology, me and Kent Earhart or Mike, whatever the people's names are here. In the, um, if I went out one day, like right now, and I would say, yeah, looks like we're going to have a tornado today, right? It's just, conditions are right. And I came in here and I was like, listen, everyone, here's the deal. We're going to have a tornado today. Like I've went out, I've assessed the, cur- the cirrus cumulus stuff and the jet streams are really looking chaotic. chaotic and, and so I just come in here. Like, there's no authority in that. You guys know for sure that I'm, I mean, I'm a bozo as it comes to weather. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? I'm just, I've just gone out and just literally tossed something at the wind. But when the National Weather Service drops those, like, beeps on the bottom of your television screen that sometimes get annoying but are extremely helpful, right? Like, all of a sudden, there's some, what? There's some authority with the warning, you see? If I warn you and I'm like, hey, there's going to be a tornado today, you're like, that's completely unfounded. You're not a meteorologist, let alone, you know, know anything about clouds. So why don't you just go over here and talk to the corner, right? What, but listen, but if the National Weather Service comes along and says, no, uh, right now, tornado warning in St. Charles, there's some authority with that warning. If you're going to start a sincere warning and you begin it with, as the Holy Spirit says, do you see what's happening here? It's not just a warning. It's not just, hey, here's my heart right now for you. This is a warning straight from God. And not just from God, the fullness of who God is in His person, Father, Son, and Spirit, about His Son, and dwelt through His Spirit, straight from the mouth of God. This warning tonight, church, has authority. Are you with me? All right? So look at this next phrasing. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, what's the next word? Today. Can I explain something to you as it pertains to Jewish culture? A Jew, their whole life was spent thinking about tomorrow. One day the Messiah will come. One day all of this is going to turn around. One day we'll be in the promised land. One day all of this will change. You see, their whole existence was in tomorrow. One day, maybe it will get better. Soon it will turn. Something will change. But with Christ, there's a new sense of urgency. It's no longer tomorrow. It's now Today, today, Christ has died, Christ has written, and so the day of grace is now. There's no more waiting for the Messiah. That was in the old. The new is here. That's why Jesus over and over in the Gospels says, the kingdom is now and yet to come. He brings the kingdom with Him, as we said earlier. May your kingdom come. May your will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Keep bringing your kingdom. Keep showing us your kingdom. It's today. Now, so many of you, so many of you struggle living urgently in today because you're the kind of person like the Old Testament Jews that is constantly believing the grass is greener, right? How many of you guys just want to admit that? Like for you, it's always, you're never content. 
literally in anything you do in your life, any decision you make, anything you're wrestling with, you're always saying the grass is greener. There will be something better. Something new will come that will, that will completely blow whatever I'm experiencing now away. How many, how many of you are like that? The grass is always greener. To you, it's so difficult to ever look at the moments, these moments today as urgent here and now because you're always thinking in your mind tomorrow will be better. It's not maybe tomorrow. Listen, this warning is definitely today. This warning isn't maybe tomorrow. Let's talk in hypothesis and theory. The statement for all of us is, no, 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 not maybe tomorrow, definitely today. Listen to this today. Hear this now. No matter where you're at, understand what he's saying. And look at the rest of verse 17. If you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, you hear his voice. I talk all the time with people. I don't, I don't hear God's voice. We have a dialogue about that, and I'm like, well, what do you expect? I mean, I don't know. Like, it's kind of an audible thing in my headphones or something, like once in a while, jamming out, and God says, hey there. You know, we kind of have a conversation, and then he goes on his merry way. All kinds of varying perspectives. And then finally, when I ask, um, when I ask these folks, how much time do you spend in the Scriptures? Well, you know, the Bible is the Bible is nice and all, but I just want to hear I just want to hear from God straight from the mouth of God. What do you think the Bible is? You think this isn't the voice of God? I was like, you want to start hearing today the voice of God? Start opening this amazing book of truth, and you will hear His voice today. We together are hearing His voice now. Not maybe tomorrow, definitely today. You see? This is the truth. The very words of God. The voice of God. And that's why if we stick so closely to the Scripture, then we can't go wrong because it's not some man that's speaking hypothesis. It's the truth of the Scriptures. So he starts out this warning with, as the Holy Spirit said back in Psalm 95, today, if you hear His voice... This intense warning, and he goes on in verse 8 and 9, and we'll pull these together. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Now, Psalm 95 is twofold. The first six verses of Psalm 95 are all about praising and worshiping God. But the second half, the second very intense half calls out Moses and the Israelites. And so the writer of Hebrews quotes almost word for word Psalm 95 to share a warning with his readers by using the Israelites as an example. Are you with me? So what's the example? Well, so far what we know, what we learned last week about the Israelites, they spent 400 years in bondage in Egypt. Okay? God sends Moses as the person deliverer of the people. They get released, as we studied in Lot family on Sunday. They come to the Red Sea. All the Egyptians are behind them. God parts the sea. The Israelites go across. The army comes behind them. Waters close down. And the Israelites are safe. But then what happens? Well, let's look. In your Bibles, open to Exodus chapter 17. The page number's on your screen as well for your, uh, for your Bible uh, in, the, in your pew. 
Exodus 17. If he's going to use Psalm 95, and if Psalm 95 uses the Israelites as an example for our warning to understand, then we better understand what happens after they cross the Red Sea. You guys all there? Say I'm there. Exodus chapter 17. So, you're an Israelite, you've just seen the water part, which had to be pretty incredible. Okay? You've already seen manna come down from heaven. You've seen a water turn from sour to not. You've seen some amazing things. Chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by, by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Okay? Now, I need you guys to understand as we're looking at this, this isn't a couple people that come to Moses and they're like, hey, water would be good. Okay? This is a massive amount of people. And their animosity is growing, and they quarrel with Moses, give us water to drink. And look at what Moses said to them. Why do you quarrel with me? Right? He had to be already a little bit frustrated with the, all of the murmuring and the grumbling that he's hearing from the people. Why are you looking at me? I'm just the servant here, right? In fact, when I signed up for this gig, I told the Lord, like, what do you want with me? Because I'm nothing. So why are you quarreling with me? And not just that, why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And look at this. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So, they've seen some of the most powerful evidences of God in the Scripture. And they come to Moses and they say, Why did you bring us out here to die? Look at this. Verse 4. So Moses cried to the Lord. He's like, something has to happen here. Please help me. What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me, right? Can you picture this? He's like crying out, please help me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take with you some of the, uh, uh, in, in, and take with you some of the elder, elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Harob, And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the the name of the place Massa. Now, not in Psalm 95, and put up Psalm 95 for me here. In Psalm 95, you won't, in this this, uh, version, you won't see the word Massa. But in the literal Hebrew, Massa is implied here straight from uh, Exodus chapter 17. And so he called that place Massa, and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So you've seen crazy works of the Lord, and you start to get thirsty in the physical. Though you've seen some of the most powerful spiritual things you will literally ever see, and your first inclination is, what about me? What's going on here? Why'd you bring us out here to die? So he's going to warn his readers... And in doing so, he's going to use the Israelites as an example to say, don't be like this. Whatever they're like, whatever they're embracing, the heart that they're walking with and living with, don't be like this. But this is not enough. I need, you to, show, I need to show you something else. All right, so turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. Again, the scripture's on your screen, the page number. Numbers chapter 20. So it's not just the people, 
that are grumbling, that are struggling. There's more here. Numbers chapter 20. You guys all there? Say I'm there. Now, now there was no water for the congregation, verse 2. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we be perished when our brothers perish before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness? Remember, they're going around here in the wilderness, not yet to the promised land, that we should die here, both we and our cattle. Interesting that they keep equating them cattle with, their cattle with themselves, verse 5. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or wine or pomegranates, pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock. Those of you guys that know the story, you know what happens? What happens? Moses goes to the rock, and instead of telling the rock, what does Moses do? He hits the rock, disobeys. Moses doesn't go into the promised land. So look again in Hebrews. What does he say here? Quoting Psalm 95. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. They saw my works, my powerful works. And they were consistently putting me to the test, forgetting what I, as God, had done. Quick question. You ever find yourself just forgetting the amazing things that God has done in your life? And have you noticed that when you forget the things that instantly start to be birthed in your heart, the same mouth, and Scripture talks about this, the same mouth that once blessed the Lord, you even find yourself cursing because you don't understand how His plan is working out and it no longer seems to be in your benefit. I've met with five different people this week hearing incredible stories of deliverance and every day that I hear what God has done by His grace in real people's lives, I'm reminded that it may not be a cloud of smoke or a pillar of fire or a parted sea. It's a changed heart. It's a restored soul. It's someone who once was dead and now is alive. And they certainly, in their newness of Christ, certainly seem pretty excited about it. And maybe some of you tonight, the only word you need to hear is, Remember! Remember what He's done. Remember what He saved you from. Remember what He brought you out of. Remember the exciting things that you've seen God do. Maybe not a water parted, but in your heart. Isn't that more? Is it more to part a sea or to save a soul? You see what I'm saying? Through the power of Christ and the blood of Jesus. He doesn't pull people out of slavery of Egypt, but rather slavery of sin. And that is why the new covenant is better than the old. Are you with me, church? So this challenge, this warning is, look, here's the Israelites. Uh, they're doing bad things here. So if you're going to take note, don't be like them. Now to finish his example, he goes on to verse 10. And this gets incredibly interesting. Therefore, 
I was provoked with that generation. This is God speaking now. I was provoked with that generation. You, you want to know what that means? That means disgusted. That means displeased. That means wrathful. I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, listen, this is so important, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God speaking. I was provoked with that generation, displeased, disgusted. And now here they come. Some of you in your heart, this is exactly what I was waiting for. Yep, I've been waiting to hear this, because now all this is disproven. You see, God's an angry God. God's not a loving God. God's not loving. You see this right here? He's provoked. He's displeased. He's disgusted. God's not a loving God. You see here? I got the scripture proof. The moment any of us ever start to take our human emotions and thrust them and try to relate to the emotions, the spirit, the awe, the power of God is the moment when we've completely diminished the character of a mighty, faithful God. The moment you think, because your heart sometimes wrestles or is provoked, that you can understand what it's like to be a God-provoking heart, my friends, that's when we need to repent drastically. But we do it all the time. Oh, I can understand what God feels because I feel that way too. Don't diminish ever the character of God and what He's done. And what does He say here? They shall not enter my what? Enter my rest. Well, in Psalm 95, He's talking about the, the what? The promised land, Right? These people, they're not going to enter the promised land. Numbers 14. Here's what happens. Moses, uh, on God's direction, sends a constituency of spies to check out the promised land. After all of this wandering in the wilderness, they're finally on the cusp of it. Right there on the brink of the promised land. So he sends these spies. And the spies come back with their report. You know what they say? Um, homie, don't play that, right? They're huge. There's giants over there. This is incredibly scary. Like, the whole, like, land of milk and honey is the land of, like, complete disaster. That we, we're not going to do this. We can't do this. But there's one man whose name was anyone. Okay? Caleb and Joshua was included within that. But Caleb comes back, and Caleb silences the crowd. And he says, no, no, no. Let's go there now. Right? Let's go there now. All of you, haven't you seen what God has done? He's fed us from the sky. He's given us drink from the rocks. He completely brought us out of bondage. And now you're going to get to the cusp of rest. And you're going to say, no, there's giants over there. Are you kidding me? Do you not know our God, Caleb says? And he says, no, let's go now. And for those of you guys that were in Lot family, you saw the scripture in Exodus 14 when they get to the sea. And there's this overwhelming sense, be silent because he will fight for you. Now, I need to explain something. They shall not enter my rest. All the spies and all the army die. Don't enter the rest. Moses, nope. Disobedience. They don't enter the rest. They don't see the promised land. Yet, though, he led this whole constituency through. Now, can we, before we look the product of this warning, step back for a moment. What does this mean? Do you understand 
that God in his wrath lets this army die because of their disobedience. And there you sit, disobedient, sinful, but because of Christ taking God's wrath, you not only get to enter rest, you get to enter an eternal rest. It's this amazing picture of the new being better than the old. The old God was wrathful. The old covenant, we see the picture of God's wrath. You disobey me? Done. No one in this army, or mo- you don't see the promised land. But now, under the new covenant, under the blood of Christ, He takes on the wrath of God, becomes, as we described before in Hebrews, the propitiation for our sin, and then because of that, you not only are slaves from some physical slavery, but literally slavery of death by sin and given life. You get rest. So listen, before we continue to move on in this warning, can you just take a second, wherever you're at in your context, your relationship, and just, just say thank you, God. And this picture is for us to look back and not just say, what these people didn't do, but to say what God was setting up. I showed you through this story that wrath had to be taken because of sin, and the people took it here, but my son will take it later. You see? Unbelievable text. Now, verse 12, the warning. You've seen the example. Now we look at the warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Here's the Israelites. Here's this example of their lives. And now you, today, now, urgently, brothers, listen to this. Lest there be in in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What does the reader do here in the warning? The writer do here in the warning. He attributes the struggle of the Israelites, a lack of faith, a lack of trust, and he combines it with what? Sin. He says, if you doubt, if you have an unbelieving heart, And if you look at the Israelites, what you're going to see is that doubt leads to sin. Because the people in Israel started out with, are you sure about this? Are we sure about this Moses guy? Like, are we sure that we should be walking across the sea? Because Egypt sure seemed pretty good back here. We were being fed, yeah, we were working hard, but man, like, did, did he bring us? You see, that's how it starts. Are you sure about this? Is this really good right now? My wife and I, um, back when we were uh, starting to think about having a family, it's a great season uh, of, our, of our marriage. And uh, what we realized, and many of you have experienced this, is that sometimes getting pregnant isn't quite as easy as you thought. Um, so like months, months were going by, and no pregnant, no pregnant, no pregnant. Now, let me explain something to you if you've never experienced this, and some of you have, have experienced it way more than I have. Uh, when your wife really wants to get pregnant and she's not, that's, that's bad news bears. You know, like, um, it's, it's really, really, really hard. 
and, and, and every month that goes by, uh, Mark's still not pregnant. I can't, like, it is so, so difficult as a man to encourage your wife through that. And some of you have dealt with this in way harder fashion than I have. But let me explain something to you. What I started to see happen in our marriage is we started to say, are you sure? Like, God, I know you say that you're, like, working all this out, but we really want to have kids, God, and God, are you sure about this? Here's what started to happen. Listen, we started to doubt that God was capable, that he was going to restore us through this, and you know what started to happen? If you've ever seen a bickering marriage, that's what our marriage became. All we were doing was looking at one another. She was blaming me. I was blaming her. Our doubt led to this, this tough battle with sin. God, we're not, we don't, we're not sure about you. Like I, man, I, we feel like you've called us to get pregnant here, but... And so our doubt, listen, our doubt turned us from being assured in God. And any time you start living here... All you're doing is living in doubt because you're seeing failure all over the place. Are you guys with me? If you keep your eyes on the prize, on the Creator, you're constantly assured. If you stay in the Word of God, you're constantly assured. The moment, as a marriage, as a couple, in a relationship, or just as an individual, that you begin to hang right here, sin. And that's why he says in his warning, brothers, don't any of you with an unbelieving heart. Let that heart be provoked to this horrible, wretched understanding of falling away from the living God. And it's all rooted in what? Trust. Now, if I were to ask you right now to write a bunch of things down, though you're not going to, but if I were to ask you that, in the, the list that I was going to have you write down were your doubts. I was just going to I'm just going to ask you, all right, right now, I want you to write all of your doubts down as, the, as it pertains to God. All the things that you question right now to be true, all the things you wonder about. What would be on your list? What do you struggle with right now believing that it's actually true, though you read it in the Scripture? What do you doubt? And then I want to ask you this. Have you ever seen in your life, how your doubt eventually leads to this grip of sin because it pulls your eyes out of assurance and into this world, which at times I think we'd all agree is a discouragement. What are your doubts? Now, he doesn't just warn his readers. He gives them an answer. Look at verse 13. But. Anyone else love that word? I love it because it's a transition. Here's the problem. Here's the example. Here's the warning. But. So he must be getting ready to share some hope. He must be transitioning. But. Look at this. But exhort. Exhort means this. Encourage. It literally in the Greek, listen, it means come alongside. That's what exhort means. Come alongside. To come alongside someone else. But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today. Now, 
Today in the scripture is not necessarily a 24-hour time period, but every time we're going to see this in Hebrews, it's an urgent call. Exhort one another, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the picture. All of these Israelites in the wilderness. And, and let's just use this, this name, though. It's kind of out of context in this case. Let's say Jethro is walking around, and he's like, man, I don't know about this Moses guy. I don't know about this. In fact, like, I'm pretty thirsty out here. And it sure seems, and someone else hears that and his kids hear that. You know what starts to happen? Have you ever experienced how infectious doubt is? Have you? Come on. Have you? Have you ever experienced how infectious doubt is? When one, and I've seen this in heretics, people who go against the scripture, they just start implanting little doubts. Just dropping them in. Well, are you sh- what about this? And pretty soon that little doubt, it starts ballooning all over the place. And you find yourself, though you were incredibly strong in your scriptural understanding and the power of Christ, you find yourself doubting. All because it's so infectious. And so that's what happens in the Israelites. They're out there, literally tens of thousands of them. And it starts with a few. Are you sure about this Moses guy? I don't think, I don't think this is going to all work out. And then pretty soon, the scripture says over and over, the whole assembly, all of them. The picture of verse 13 is this. As infectious as doubt is, faith is too. Listen, as infectious as doubt is, as quickly as it spreads, as strongly as it takes hold of us, faith is just as infectious and even more so. And so what does the writer say? Don't any of you in your lack of trust of God fall away, but exhort one another. Instead of letting doubt run the show in a community of people, Let's make the people that are saying, I'm not sure, be in the minority. And the people that are saying, I know who God is, I know what God does, be the majority. You exhort, you encourage, you be the group of people that when people are struggling, you're the one saying, no, 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 no. What you're talking about, that's not my God. I know exactly who my God is. My God is faithful, He's good. In fact, I spoke with Him this morning through His Scripture, and here's what His voice said today. This call of the writer of Hebrews is a call to urgent trust now. An urgent trust today. If you don't trust, if you don't let it go, if you still try to consume and control this universe that you've created in your mind that's going to escalate you and make your name great, then what will eventually happen, the writer says, is you will find yourself drifting and you will find yourself controlled by sin that you've already been released to and in this scripture i think specifically i think it's speaking both to to people that have heard the gospel and have not yet decided that are teetering but i think it's also very pertinent to christians trust now and so people often say to me okay that's a good line how how My mind is filled with doubt. I'm constantly wondering, how can I let these doubts go? Can I ask you this? Have you ever just confessed them to Him? Have you ever just said, God, right now, here's what I'm doubting. 
here's what I struggle with. Here's where I'm at. And just literally said, God, take them. Take my doubts. Take my doubts and fill them with assurances. Take my questions of your character, the ways that I'm struggling with all these things, and fill them with the truth straight from your voice. Have you ever done that? And I think our biggest struggle is exactly what the writer says here. What the church should be is this massive group of people that are daily, as it's called today, exhorting one another of the reality of God. Do you know what God did today? Not just in my testimony four years ago when He brought me out of the pit, but now. Do you know? And in that moment, some of the doubters, that faith becomes just as infectious. And for me this week, as I've sat even today with people who have crazy stories of deliverance every single moment. I'm worshiping and remembering, and no matter where I've been at that day, I walk away, especially this week for some reason, from these meetings saying, God, you're so real. God, here, take my doubts. It's an urgent trust. And so I tell you the same warning tonight, church. You've been waiting for tomorrow. Tomorrow will get better. Tomorrow I'll get serious. Tomorrow all this... All this sin I'll let go, but today I can still hang on to it. No, 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 no. Today, right now, an urgent call to trust. Learn from the Israelites. See them as your example and claim victory in the power of Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. My prayer is that one day my kids will grow up and it won't be the silly things. It won't be the don't run with those or don't do that over there. Don't push your brothers and sisters. My prayer as a dad is that one day they'll remember the warnings that I talked about as it pertains to this culture. When my son Dawson is 17 years old and he's sitting with a girl and he has a moment where he can compromise. The cry of the heart of a father who loves him very much and who's warned him in love, listen son, like can't indulge. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. It it will never provide you anything. I can only pray as a dad that my son will look in the face of that temptation and say, no, I trust now, today. I don't need to wait on tomorrow. I trust now. I can only pray. But listen, we're speaking tonight of a father has completely accomplished the work. It's over. And so we don't have to heed warnings, listen, from earthly brothers and sisters. We have the chance 
to heed the warnings and the encouragements from a God who looks down, is working out His plan for His glory, and says, I'm mindful of you. I created you. I know you. Listen to me. Trust me. Let go of yourself. I sent my son. The wrath is done. You can have rest in me. And so tonight, put your doubts out before him. And let him not just rip them out of your hands, but show you how you can trust now.